Team Time. Sports around the world. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another Sports Around the World with me, Ben Cullen. We start this week's news with an update on the major U.S. sports. We're less than a month away from the restart of the NBA season. Teams have arrived at Walt Disney World this week, and camps have just gotten underway to prepare the players for the adapted season. Teams will face off later this month at Disney's ESPN Wide World of Sports Complex in Florida. Also in Orlando, the MLS is back tournament kicked off this week. But the tournament start has been dampened as they are without FC Dallas. They withdrew from the tournament on Monday as they reported 10 players have tested positive. The remainder of the team and staff are now in quarantine. After much controversy between players and owners over the last month or so, Major League Baseball have announced their schedule for the 2020 season. The opening day will be July 23, when the Washington Nationals host the New York Yankees and the LA Dodgers take on the San Francisco Giants. The remainder of the teams will start the season the following day. Now, get ready for this staggering NFL news. After leading the Kansas City Chiefs to victory in this year's Super Bowl, Patrick Mahomes has been rewarded with the biggest contract in NFL history. How much is it worth? If you have a drink in your mouth, swallow it now. The 10-year extension of his contract is reportedly worth up to 503 million US dollars, making him the first half a billion dollar player in sports history. Half a billion dollars. How much can that get you? How much is it worth? Well, if you're interested, it can buy you 38.5 million cinema tickets or 435,000 iPhone 11s or 2,500 Lamborghinis. Take your pick. In tennis, the much-debated US Open is fast approaching and Rafael Nadal has casted more doubt on whether he's going to defend his title or not. The Spaniard has already spoken about how uncomfortable he feels traveling to New York in its current condition. And this week, he tweeted one of his Davis Cup teammates saying, See you in Madrid in September. The French Open warm-up tournament, the Madrid Masters, starts one day after the US Open final. We know for sure we won't see Roger Federer at Flushing Meadows as he is set to miss the rest of the 2020 season following knee surgery earlier this year. And we're unsure if we'll see the world number one, Novak Djokovic. He had toned down initial skepticism about the US Open before testing positive for coronavirus. He has not yet committed. Last week, we previewed the exciting return of Formula One with analyst Matthew Marsh. And boy, did the Australian Grand Prix deliver. It was an incident-packed race with Mercedes and Valtteri Bottas taking the win. It was a Mercedes 1-2 win with Hamilton finishing second. But Hamilton was penalised five seconds for a collision with Red Bull's Alex Albon, putting him into fourth. This penalty also resulted in Lewis Hamilton having a record of his own taken away from him. Lando Norris, racing for McLaren, managed to slip into third position and become the youngest ever Brit to stand on the podium in just his second season of F1. What a way to start the season. And on that note, let's welcome back Matthew Marsh. We welcome back Matthew Marsh to the studio so we can go a little bit deeper into his racing career. I'm looking forward to this part. Um, so if you were racing at 17, at what age did you take an interest in Formula One and how did that happen? Uh, seven or eight years of age, my dad had raced before uh, he got married and had me and my sister. Um, so he was an amateur racer, but he was going to races, watching it on TV, all of those things. So I think the reason I got into the sport was because I was exposed to it 
I wasn't exposed to any other sports. There was no other thing, nothing else really going on at home. Was, and the Formula One in the 1970s and 80s was, you know, I love it now, but it was dramatic then. I mean, it was, the cars were exciting, the characters were, they were all very different to each other. They still are, but they don't look as different as they did then. And it was dangerous. I think that's quite an important point, actually, is that I wasn't attracted to the danger, but I think where there's jeopardy, where, where the, there are consequences for getting it wrong, uh, then when you get it right, it's more valuable. And certainly I was very aware. I remember when the Swedish driver Ronnie Peterson was killed in 1978, I was 10. I can remember seeing that happen on the television, the accident that he wow. succumbed to the following morning. And, and that is quite, and I remember being at racetracks and seeing people get hurt. Now, as I say, it was, it was moving. I didn't want to see it, but I think it probably added to the fabric. How often, oh, how many times would you have attended a race from a child through to your teenage years? Probably once a month at least. And the great thing it's a was, lot. it is, and, it, and it's accessibility. You know, it's like uh, people in, in Hong Kong can go to football matches and, and, and they can play basketball very easily. It's accessible. Motorsport is not accessible no. here in Hong Kong. So uh, it was certainly accessible. And I was going with my dad, sometimes the whole family, but mostly dad and I, you know, for, for a kid to go with their parent to an event, I think is important for the relationship and... Um, I know a lot of kids who go because they just want to be with their parent to a sporting event and then they pick up the sport of course, yeah. later on. Do you think um, your dad's influence pushed you into the wanting to race or do you think that was something you took upon yourself to decide you wanted to race after watching so much of it? Well, I asked him that question actually and he said, no, you, didn't, you never showed any interest in actually wanting to race and then at age 17 you suddenly announced you were going to be a racing driver and you can imagine him like palm on the forehead, you know. And how is that going to happen? <laughs> and I had this idea that I was going to get sponsorship. And he, you know, like, really? But based on what? You know, because you have to have a story to tell to get sponsorship. You know, you might have wanted to actually have driven before, had some success in motorsport. Got it. And so I had this idea. He said, that's not going to work. But, you know, what, what you, maybe I didn't know, I suppose, maybe I did, uh, wasn't conscious of the fact that my grandfather had left some money to all of us in the family. Not huge amounts, but enough that my sister could put a deposit on a house. So a significant amount of money, you know, because it changes yeah, yeah, of course. changes your life. And uh, my dad, I don't want to say encouraged, maybe he did encourage. He said, why don't you spend some of the money, some of the money, yeah. um, <laughs> going racing, which meant, you know, buying a cheap car and doing it ourselves and all of those things, which um, was, that was the right way to do it because I wasn't very good as a racing driver, which he probably had predicted. And I learned about how you become responsible if you want to go racing on sunday the car better be ready and i was doing most of it myself and I'd, i was having to learn how to ring people and say how do you change the ratios in the gearbox and how do you do this and, and very independent uh, with it yeah and this is before you know now you can go online and you can find out how to do it and watch a youtube video probably but yeah. in those days i had to actually get to know somebody and encourage them to spend their time teaching me how to do things which is a skill um a technique that you develop right as yeah a, um and it certainly helped me enormously you know, thankfully I wasn't very good at that point as a racing driver, but I had these other skills. Other skills that you yeah. developed. Did you have to pass your driving test before you were racing? How did how you did that work? Didn't I don't think you did. At, maybe you did at the time back then. Nowadays you don't. Kids now, age fifteen, race cars, which I don't actually think is great. Going back to my point, it is quite dangerous. Anyway, that's another point. Um, I didn't pass my. I think what you're saying, Ben, is did I pass my driving test? No, but we'll the go first? there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you probably know the answer now, based on the fact that I. Um, second time. Second time. Um, <laughs> overconfident was the was the pronouncement of the instructor. Driving too close. To, I think it was actually driving too close to parked cars. Okay. Specifically. 
Mm. Yeah, watch out for those. Yes. Um, what was the most difficult aspect of the racing you you found? Well, if I sort of fast forward to the version two part of it, rather than yeah, version one, because the version one it was all that was out of my depth. Yeah, understood. Um, the version two part, which is as I said earlier, where I I came at it from a different angle, which is I spent a lot of time with racing people, so by osmosis had picked up quite a lot of how you go about it. I had a particular friendship with a guy called Peter Windsor who is a, journal, a former journalist and um, had become a team manager of Formula One teams and managed drivers and he, very smart guy, was very good at teaching me, again, how to go about it. Um, and the key part was really this sort of, let's look at it. And motorsport is, is, a, is a complex, sort of almost technical endeavor when they're creating the cars, but you can approach the driving part in the same way. And so that's what I, Again, I'm not sure if I did it at the time, but looking back at it is what I did, which is that I was aware that the talent part was limited, but if I was fitter than the other guys in the race, if I had slept better the night before, if I'd arrived at the track a day earlier than them, if I'd perhaps practiced on the track, if I had a better understanding of how the car worked, all of these other elements, and the more that you can break it down into, the better you, you get at overcoming the lack of talent. In, in the driving part. So to answer your question, it's probably the lack of talent in the driving part, but actually over time, I became quite competent at it. And I had a coach, which was unusual. A lot of racing people, drivers don't have coaches, even in Formula One, it's extraordinary because wow. in every sport, you know, Tiger Woods has a coach, right? Of course, yeah. You know, another great athlete. So they're getting better at it now. Formula One drivers are starting to realize as good as I am, I might need somebody to help me, whether it's on the mental side, all the guys in Formula One now have performance coaches for the physical side. So I, maybe I was slightly ahead of my time. Matthew, not many of the teenagers in Hong Kong would perhaps have access to Formula One. But for people who are interested in the sport in general, what would your advice be to them to go find out more about it? Yeah, it's a very good question. And the answer is, I think, go online, go to the YouTube channel of Formula One, and then there are YouTube channels for various teams. And they're very good. They've come up with you know, short form content. I was in a yoga class. Um, about a year ago and my yoga teacher started telling me all about Lewis Hamilton and Charles Leclerc and blah 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 and I thought she'd been watching me on television so I was quite proud waiting for her to mention that she'd seen that she had no idea as a TV presenter and she'd been watching it all on YouTube and that's the new normal I suppose part of the new normal and uh, there's some fantastic comment, uh, content out there uh, movies wise um, there's one in particular I'm going to suggest for families for anybody okay. to watch it's called The Art of Racing in the Rain and it's not actually about motor racing. It's about a guy who happens to be a racing driver and his family. It's a brilliant story. It's told by his dog. Most people don't know this film. It is a brilliant movie. You will cry, especially if you're on an airplane. That's my excuse. And having a glass of red wine. It's a brilliant, brilliant movie that you know anybody can watch. But the, the character of the racing driver is really well told. Patrick Dempsey, the movie actor, was one of the executive producers. He is himself uh, an amateur stroke professional racing driver, and he was involved in that, and you can, you can see his touch. Brilliant. Go to YouTube and go watch the films. Thank you very much once again, Matthew. We look forward to see how the Formula One develops over the next few weeks. It's going to be fascinating. Thanks for having me. Awesome. That's it from me, everybody. Go have a great weekend, be vigilant, and I'll be back next week. <laughs>